Hi everybody and welcome to the Junction Church Podcast. We pray that this message inspires and encourages you. If you would like to find out any more information about us, then please visit our website at www.thejunctionchurch.com. Thank you for listening. Take your seats, take your seats. It is awesome to see you guys tonight. It has been such an awesome day in church. Uh, it's been awesome to see all you guys. Uh, I just want to give a first a, a big thank you. Uh, as a lot of you guys will know, like half the church has gone off to a, a wedding in Portugal. Uh, uh, under the pretense of a wedding in Portugal. <laughs> they've gone to Portugal. Uh, and they've had an awesome time. And I think some of them are on their way back. I think my wife might be up above our heads right now in an aeroplane. Uh, and, uh, you know, so... They've all been away, but, but while they've been away, I know that the teams, all the different teams within the church, the, the guys have been on welcome, on hosting, uh, on worship, all of them have just absolutely put so much, they've poured themselves into this evening. They've done so much, they've done so well, and you know, I just want to, I think we should just honour these guys, because they have really given so much to make church happen. And to happen at like the standard, you know, we set a standard of excellence in this church. We don't seek perfection. Perfection is impossible. We don't, uh, we, you know, it's, it's all right to sort of uh, make mistakes and learn by those mistakes and stuff. But, uh, but, but we set a standard of excellence of trying our hardest every time. And I think these guys have absolutely outdone themselves. And it's been, uh, it's been a real privilege to kind of see the church uh, sort of just do that and uh, really step up. So uh, it's been, yeah, that's something I'm really proud of. Uh, I am continuing the uh, Oxygen series tonight, uh, to a, a series all about prayer, all about sort of the, uh, just what the critical value of prayer in our life is. Uh, you know, we, oxygen is, uh, you know, it's the thing that we breathe and we, we, we look at around us and, you know, one of the things that we value in life is, is air quality, right? You know, we, we, you know, if you have good air quality, it improves the quality of life, right? It, it improves your quality of life and, 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 and in improving our prayer life, we're looking to improve, once again, the quality of our, our life, our, our spiritual life, our, our interaction with God. And, you know, that, that's what this series is all about. That's what we're, we're looking to tap into, to, to try and find the most, to try and find uh, just to improve and to enhance that gift that God has given us. God has given us the gift of prayer, and, and, and we want to see that quality of life just be improved. And, you know, what you put into your life has a direct influence over the quality of life. Uh, if, if you think in terms of uh, what we eat and what we breathe, it, it's, uh, there's a, 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 apparently some science that has said that our bodies sort of replenish themselves over a seven-year cycle. Of, over seven years, every sort of cell in your body will uh, kind of find itself replenished in one way or the other. So I guess some do it quicker than others, but it will take seven years, and essentially you, you have uh, sort of been recreated. And so what we eat, what we breathe, basically what you eat and breathe today constitutes what you will become tomorrow, a week from now, seven years from now. It's, it's what we put into our lives. And, and over the last decade or so, there has been a, a real focus on food, uh, it, it's really intensified. Uh, there's an emphasis now, much more than I remember in my childhood, of uh, of seeking out organic food or expensive food. <laughs> but organic food is it's it's seen as being as we uh, put an emphasis on it. It's it's to try and sort of uh, to try and replicate to to try and sort of reflect a more natural diet. You know, to try and reflect a more natural intake, having something that, that isn't sort of uh, being 
sort of conformed to fit within sort of a more sort of efficient pattern. But this sort of whole, the whole thing of the whole growth of the organic food industry comes actually as a direct challenge of one of the, one of the great breakthroughs, one of the great sort of uh, uh, innovations of the 20th century. The 20th century was where humanity sort of learnt on a mass scale to process food. You know, we, we, we look at that now as sort of a negative, but, but at the time, being able to make food processed, it, it, it had the ability to, uh, by substituting the, the natural elements of our food. Sorry, I have to interrupt. Do I sound like really weird up here? No, it sounds quite weird up here, but that's fine. Cool. I thought you were all being just dead polite, uh, but that's okay. It must be my tinnitus kicking in. Uh, but uh, yeah, but yeah, or processed food, which we kind of look down upon a bit now, it was actually a great innovation because it managed to take food on a mass scale and make it efficient. The, the, the production of it, the presentation of it, the lifespan of it particularly, you know, all of these things, being able to feed the, uh, the whole Western world uh, in the 20th century came down to the, the ability to do that, to, to be able to funnel food and make it more easily available and, and, and last for longer and uh, have the, those sort of properties and be just efficient, to be more cost-effective, more time-effective, uh, was a great innovation of the 20th century, uh, which is funny enough because we now look at it sort of as being a bad thing. Uh, and one of the reasons we kind of look at it as a bad thing is because the reality is when you compare sort of natural foods and, and organic foods with, with foods that have been pre-processed, that, that sort of synthetic element of them, the, the part, the natural part, the, the vibrancy, the, uh, the vitality of, of natural foods has been sort of extracted to, to make it have a longer lifespan, to make it sort of be more... Uh, Product, production friendly and, and as a result it, it just loses it loses something doesn't it? it it becomes if I dare say like a little bland particularly when compared against something fresh and something natural it becomes a little bra- uh, bland and, it, and, it, and the nutrients uh, the nutrients within it are just they're of a lower quality it's just not the, the food is not of as high a quality as, as something that you can get naturally and it's as if like we've taken the delectability of a, of a roast dinner and reduced it. It's been reduced down to a microwave meal. You can, make, you can have a roast dinner microwave meal, which doesn't really make any sense. But that's, but that's what you can have. That's, that's, that's what we've sort of managed to do. And we've, we've taken the... And, and in, the same, in the way that we've taken food and, 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 and sort of begun to sort of break it down to that sort of lowest common denominator, which, as I said, was actually a great breakthrough in the 20th century, if not that it had a few drawbacks. But we look at... I want to draw a comparison. That, that same... That same uh, that same taste, that same tone that we think about with, with, with food like that, a lot of that is snuck into the communication that we have. The communication we have with each other even. You know, like this, uh, particularly on like a surface level, when we, when we are speaking with people that uh, we don't know or we don't maybe honestly don't give the time to or don't have time for, you know, we, we will speak in uh, kind of generic terms, you know, will be very generic. Uh, one of the, I mean, this is a polite thing, I guess, but you ask someone, uh, how are they doing? And they will return, I'm doing good. 
you know, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm all good. You know, they, they, there's, there's, and they might not be doing all good, but, but that's the kind of response that you give, a somewhat generic. We have these generic interactions, uh, somewhat cliched at times. You know, we, we, can be, we can very much lean our language and our communication on, on cliches because it's a bit easier. Uh, I think the funny one that sort of uh, crept in now to, to communication through, through text and messaging is, is emojis. Emojis are like the greatest cliche of all. You don't even need to say words. You just put something smiley or, or you put a little love heart eyes or something like that. You don't even need to come up with terms of endearment. You just put a picture. picture tells a thousand words, right? Well, not if you use the same picture every day. But, but, so there's something sort of generic. And I was thinking when, when we do that, when we, when we, when we bring uh, that sort of cliche to our lives, it's, it's as if we take what we're feeling and we, we find sort of these sort of catchphrases, a catch-all, like a bucket almost. You take a bucket and you think, well, what I'm feeling fits roughly within this bucket over here, this cliche over here, so I'll just throw that one out there and that, that will give the impression of what I'm feeling, of what I'm thinking. It's not specific, it's not directly what I'm saying, but it's close enough. It's, it's something that, that represents closely what I'm thinking. And it's, and it's a little easier to, to use these sort of catchphrases, these turn of phrases, these cliches, these emojis, because... They're just, they don't require as much from us, right? I think if we're honest, they're, they're a little easier, much like the microwave meal. They're a little bit easier. They're a little bit uh, cheaper in terms of ourselves. It doesn't cost us as much to, to speak in those generic generalizations. And, you know, do those, do, does speaking in that, in that way, does communicating in that way, is having interactions of that sort of level, does that really reflect our feelings? Or does it? actually deflect them? Is it used as a shield to protect ourselves from what we are actually thinking, what we're actually feeling? It's, it's easier to conceal behind platitudes than to delve deep within, because when you delve deep within, sometimes it gets a little messy. How, how would it be if every time you asked someone how they were, they told you exactly how they were? I will tell you exactly, you wouldn't get anything done. You, you wouldn't ask anyone how they're doing. You ask very few people how they're doing. Ask them to keep it short. But it's not, but if you, if you do that, it's, it isn't necessary to engage with the condition of your heart if you just talk in generalizations. You don't, you don't have to engage, you don't have to delve in, you don't have to interact or, or question or challenge the state of your heart, the condition of your life when you just talk in generalizations. And we do this, and the reason I'm saying this is we might do it to some degree with one another, but we actually do it an awful lot with God. I want to read to you from Matthew 6, Matthew 6, verse 6 to 8. New King James Version. When you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. Your father who sees in, the secret, in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. Before you ask him. We we prize authenticity highest in our relationships. We expect a degree of authenticity in, in, in close relationships. And it's, it's no different with God. So does God. God, 
he requires, he, he seeks, he longs for an authenticity when, when we are interacting with him. And, and as such, he, he reserves this, this private dialogue where, where we can be open to him, where we can open up. He talks about going away in, in secret and, it's, and, and having that dialogue. That's what prayer is. It's, it's that ability just to, to be alone with God. And you can be alone, like, uh, like Simba said, you know, in that moment, you can be alone with God in your head. You can just, you and God in your thoughts. It's, it's a place of privacy. It's a place of almost secrecy where, where just you and him, a safe place where you can open up. And it, and, and it says that, that he, will, uh, he will reward you openly. And I feel as if that reward you openly, it certainly has the, the inference that, you know, it, it will come out and it will be in the, in the open in the wider world for all to see. But, but I feel as if it also means that he's, he's been very open with what he's going to do. He's not, he's not hedging. He's not holding back. He's not uh, kind of giving you partly what you want. He's like, he will give openly. He will give like with open arms because you've come to him in that secret place. You come to him and, and that secrecy, it's, it's in that secrecy, that, 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 that secret dialogue, that private conversation where we can undress the wounds that pain us, where we can unwrap the hopes that enthrall us. You know, they, it, it, it's, it's where our lives can become bare to him, that they can be laid open to him. That's, that's what prayer is about, a place of intimacy. And see, intimacy, intimacy in our relationships, intimacy with our relationship with God is, is achievable. And in, it, in achieving it, we have to be specific. There has to be something specific about what we say, where, where our understanding is precise and not broad, where, it's, where, it, where, it, where we really get down to the issues. The, the, the more specific the interaction, the more explicit the understanding. You understand explicitly. You understand in every detail, in every color, in every mood, in every moment. You understand because... because the details have been presented. It's specific. A deepening of relationship. It's like when, when a couple get married and they stand in front of everyone and they, and they recite vows. Those vows are not general vows. They're not, they're not cliches. They're, they sometimes maybe even sound a bit like cliches because you hear them so many times. But when, when you're up there and you're saying those words, you mean them with every fiber of your being. They, they, are, they are specific promises that you are making to one another. Vows to share a life, to be faithful, to have love, and to, for better or for worse. You know, these, they, as I say, they, they sound like catchphrases almost sometimes. But, but when you're in that moment, when you stand there before the one you love, the one that has chosen you and you've chosen them, those words are specific. They have meaning. And the more specific your language, the more inescapable the implication. You, when, the thing about being specific is you can't then turn around afterwards and say, I didn't really mean that. Because you said what you meant. When you're vague, it's easy to do that. It's easy to kind of, I, I have a really bad habit of, of kind of hedging what I say, but qualifying what I say a lot to, to give myself outs. So I never say anything too definite. This isn't a great thing, but it tr- I do it in a sense to try and keep myself honest, that I don't make promises I can't keep. But, uh, but, but to be specific is, is to allow that level of intimacy, to, to really not give yourself an out, not give yourself a get-out clause or an escape route. I've, 
I'm a bit of a a podcast junkie. I I love listening to podcasts. I I took last weekend. I went down to my cousin's wedding in Kent, uh, a place called Canterbury, and it was about I don't know, like a ten or twelve hour drive. And on the way down, and and I drove it. uh, And and when I went down and when I went up, I listened to podcasts the entire time. I didn't listen to any music or anything like that. I I love listening to them. I love just like listening to people talk about stuff. Uh, usually stuff that has no real interest I have no sort of particular skin in the game but, but I just if people can talk interestingly about stuff that maybe isn't that interesting I still find it interesting and there was this one uh, podcast which uh, it was talking about it, was, it posed the question <laughs> like you, you, how long were you driving? Uh, it was uh, country music it was like why does country music make you cry? why does country music make you sad? Uh, and like no other music really does that. And the way that country music can convey these really sad ideas. It was a really good podcast, actually. Uh, I like to think of them as, uh, as sort of uh, documentaries without any pictures. Uh, but but it, was, it was talking very much about... It, it did a comparison between rock music and, uh, and, and country music. It said that uh, rock music is uh, a much wider medium, a, a much wider genre. Uh, it, 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 it is... It, it is uh, rock music is practiced in many countries uh, <laughs> by many people of of, of, of many creed and color, like all over the world. Uh, it's it's a much more uh, in, inclusive sort of genre of music, and and I, and it was saying that there was this uh, research that was done that was saying the amount of repetition in in, in rock music uh, is about. 60%, if you took out all of the stuff that's repeated, that there's like a repetition of, uh, in a sense, think of it almost in terms of cliché, stuff that, uh, that, that we find common in rock music songs, you take about 60% of the song away. Whereas if you did the same thing with country music, you'd only take about 40% away. Uh, it was, it's, it's a third less, has a third less repetition than, than rock music. And, and the reason was because rock has a wider community. And, and so it requires that commonality to bridge the gap, bridge cultural gaps. You know, you, if, if everyone doesn't really talk, if everyone comes from different places, you have to use simple language, right? You know, if, if, if you've got a whole bunch of people from different places, you kind of use simple language so that everyone can kind of understand what's going on. And, and if you get too, if, the, if it gets too specific, then you begin to lose people. Uh, people start to, they don't really relate to what's going on. And so you keep it general, you keep it a little bit cliche, you keep it a little bit skin deep. But country music is a much tighter group. It's, uh, it, it's, it's very uh, geographically centered in the South America. And, uh, and it, the people who create country music and the people they create it for have very much more, sort of they relate much more in terms of very much the same worldview culture and language and so you know they can afford to tell much more complicated stories uh they can use much more precise imagery uh they are able to kind of lay themselves bare that much more because they're among their own and i was thinking like when we were doing worship this evening i was thinking the the same is so much more true for worship music you know, we, 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 ha- we create, some of the worship music that is created, it, it, it has such an impact upon us. I, I think about little terms of phrase that, that I've heard. The one that kind of floors me every time is a song we sing, and I, I, I probably get the lyrics slightly wrong on this, but it's like, I found your kingdom on my knees. Just that, that line alone just uh, breaks me every time. It's such a powerful lyric. And there's so much, like we, 
as Christians, there's so much stuff we understand in terms of uh, shared understanding, shared knowledge, uh, things like imagery and symbolism, like uh, uh, water and fire and refuge and uh, restoration. You know, we have a song about forgiveness, and we kind of all know what that's about, the cross. You know, we don't have to explain what the cross means every time, because we kind of all understand it, because we have a, a shared understanding. And so a worship song can afford to be more precise, to be more specific. It can get right down to it and, 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 and really get you where you are to draw yourself out so that you're, you, you, you engage with God so much more. You, you receive that, 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 that love and that devotion on such a more powerful level because we're not talking in cliches. We're not talking in general terms. It's not stuff that could apply to anybody. It's stuff that applies to us. Being specific is saying what relates to you. What, does it, what relates to you? When, you? when you are specific, you are saying, well, this relates to me. You're not saying, this is not a gender thing. This is not an age thing. This is not a status thing. It's a you thing. It's a you thing. It's inescapable. And often we, we hide behind. We, our, our counter to being specific is, well, God knows. God knows. I don't need to be specific. God knows. God knows what. Well, you know what? God, he does. He absolutely does. I think the question we fail to ask is, do we? Do we? Do we know? Can can you admit it? Can you you own it? Because when we generalize, as I said, we leave ourselves a little bit of an out. We, We leave ourselves a little bit of a justification, a bit of an excuse, permission, the ability to redistribute responsibility. A phrase that gets thrown around an awful lot recently is, it is what it is. It is what it is. Instead of, well, it is me. It is me. It isn't is what it is. It is me. And that is what I'm dealing with. And we wrestle with that with our interactions with God. Probably more than we ever realize. We are programmed in ourselves to to resist that impulse to expose just to resist it. We subtly, our, our minds just restrain and diminish the clarity of, of, our, of our admissions, of our confessions. You know, just to, to draw it back, to make it a little more vague, to guard the interior from the exterior. And so when I get specific, I get vulnerable. I become vulnerable. Here's a story, an account from the Bible for Jesus. From Luke 18, 35 to 43. As Jesus was coming near Jericho, a certain blind man sat by the road begging. And hearing a multitude passing by, he asked what it meant. So they told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by. And he cried out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then those who went before warned him that he should be quiet. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. That, just, just to stop there, I'll continue, but that there is almost, it's, it's an external reenactment of what goes on in our own minds so much. We see God. We know that God is our answer, and yet there are voices all around saying, just be quiet, be cool, chill out. Don't shout, don't create a scene. Don't make yourself vulnerable. Just these voices that just sort of, that pull on us. 
that pull us back, that, that restrain us, that diminish the clarity of our request. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he had come near, he asked him, saying, What do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Then Jesus said to him, Receive your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately received his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Interesting thing. So he was crying out to God, saying, have mercy on me, have mercy, have mercy on me. And Jesus went over. And what did Jesus say? What can I do for you? Which, on the surface, might have seemed like a, it might have seemed a stupid question. For two reasons. One, he was saying, I want to have mercy. And, and secondly, he was obviously blind. So one on one, sure, he wants to not be blind anymore. But he didn't, he didn't just, he gave him the opportunity to get vulnerable, to be specific. What do you want from me? And the man, to his credit, didn't say, oh, you know, these things don't work. He said, he, said, he, he didn't say, oh, God, you, you figure it out. You tell me. You tell me what it, what, 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 you tell me whatever, whatever you want to do for me, that's good for me. But he said, I would love to receive my sight. Don't want to be blind anymore. And you know, that seems a little simple. When we read it, it seems pretty simple. But he asked him to get specific. He asked him to expose his vulnerability. Why? God knew, Jesus knew, everyone in the crowd knew. He wanted to see if this man would trust him. And when he said those words, when he laid himself bare, when he allowed himself to be vulnerable before Jesus and before the crowd, where he was not allowed an out, he was specific, he had exposed his need, Jesus came through. Because he tr- and why? He says, because your faith, because your trust because you believed in me. You believed in me enough to say specifically, heal me. Let my eyes see once again. And so, yeah, God, God knows. God knows what it is in our lives. And, you know, do we always know? Sometimes we don't know. And, and, and the question kind of is, well, what can God do? If we don't know what the problem in our life is, how can God help us? Well, there are times where we reach impasses in our lives, where, where the truth is so obscured by the falsehoods in which we hold on to. And, and what God will do in his mercy, he will, he will begin to tear down those strongholds. He will challenge those strongholds. And most of the time we resist them and ask God to help us. Keep these falsehoods in place. You know, like to, to protect us. We feel as if it's something aside from God, someone attacking our lives. But it's actually God just sort of challenging the falsehoods, the lies, the deceptions. And, he does, and we, we, we wrestle with it and we resist it for, to a degree and to a point until enough of it has been shifted away and we can see behind the deception. Like, oh God, that was you all the time. But in most cases, that truth isn't hidden from us it's just ignored and i i don't mean like a a reckless disregard like a like a reckless disregard for the law like you know what the law is but you just you just ignore it you just discard it i mean like 
an ignorance of it in a sense. Like, I don't know all of the laws of the land. I don't know all the laws that there are. There's probably a lot of them. But it's not because I couldn't know them. It's not because, it's not because that, that, that truth that isn't hidden. I could go on the internet. I could probably find out about every law there is. But I, I just haven't given the time and the effort to, to, to root them out, to source them out, to find them out for my life. I don't know all of the dysfunctional aspects of my character. But it's only because I haven't sought to understand them all. I haven't sought to seek them out. And as long as I fail, as long as we fail to engage with an intimate dialogue with our Savior, with our Restorer, then we forego the benefits associated with that revelation and that renewal. I've got a great verse for you just to finish up on. 26. No, I should probably tell you the the book. Isaiah 26, verse 3. He says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Because he trusts in you. See, being specific is not an issue of language. It's a, it's, it's a thing of trust. We can only be specific when we, when we trust whom we are being specific with. And when we trust, when he says, whose mind stays on you, when our minds are, are set upon God, when they're focused upon God, when we allow ourselves not to be distracted, not to hedge our bets, not to, to hold back and, and make things muddy and vague, when, when we set our mind upon him, what is the reward? It's a reward of perfect peace. Perfect peace is, is more than just it's a calming and a quieting of the mind, absolutely. But it's so much more than that. It's, it's, it's imagine, imagine like a Rolls-Royce engine. I, I, and, and you think about it and everything just works in sync with everything else. Everything is perfectly timed and it hums along perfectly and, and everything is orchestrated as it should be. And, and, and as a result, it, it purrs along. It moves along without, without, without a clatter, without a bang, without a without something that, that sort of sounds out of place. It's everything is in place. A, 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 a piano can be played so beautifully and create such a sense of peace that if it has just one chord, one, one key that is out of tune, then, then it just it disrupts the peace. It disrupts that peace. And, and so much of our lives is there is dysfunction in our lives. And hey, that's a part of being a human. That's a part of mankind. But, but God promises perfect peace. And as we are able to engage with God, as we are able to engage with the condition of our hearts, with the state of our lives, we are able to lay ourselves bare before Him and use the words to properly describe what we think of him, what we ask of him, what we, what we understand of him, then our lives can be brought into alignment, synchronized with him, in rhythm with his heart, in line with his will. See, once you, once you have a focus in your prayer life towards being specific and an understanding of what holds you back, then, then you begin 
that process of discovery. Sure, you discover about yourself. You find when you talk and you, you interact with God that, that, that thoughts come to you, understanding of your life and of your conditions occur to you that, that would never have come if you didn't engage. But the same is true for the people around you of all, and, and of just of the, the condition of all mankind. But most importantly, when we open ourselves up, we discover most importantly about God. We discover who he really is. When we don't hide behind platitudes and cliches and repetition, we find and we discover who Jesus really is, what he really means to us. See, as humans, our vision, what we perceive can be just so linear. By looking at out across the world and saying, oh, I can, I can see the edge of the world. I can see the ends of the world. It's right over there. We know the world keeps going because it's round. And sometimes dwelling just beyond the horizon, residing out of plain sight, is where God is, where he's waiting upon us. And intimacy allows us to, to peer beyond. It's like if you if you look at a forest from a distance, if you look at a forest from a distance, it, it looks impenetrable. It's just this mass of wood and leaves and, and you can't see through, you can't see beyond it. But as you get closer, as you step towards it, the, the rays of light come apart. You begin to see with definition what is there. Intimacy allows us to draw close. It allows us to get close to the Father and to see that things are not always as plain and straightforward as they appear on the surface. To discover God is to, to step towards, to understand, to, to see his nature, to understand the rhythms of his heart. That understanding, that mystery of God is not impenetrable. It is just like the forest. As you draw near, as you get close, you begin to understand what God is all about. Intimacy enhances our faith getting specific with God it helps us delve beyond that superficial fancy we fancy this, we fancy that it's, it's superficial and we get beyond that and delve down to the profound ache upon the inside not all aches are bad Sometimes we just, we ache. Ache for just God's will to be done in the lives around us. We just ache for those around us to, to understand God. And, 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 and as we get beyond the superficial, upon the fancy, begin to appreciate, begin to understand what God has really placed within us. Praying specifically, it crystallizes our request makes them solid, wholesome, strong, steadfast, and it conditions us to celebrate the answers. When you throw something out there, God answers. If you just threw it out there whimsically, you don't put the value on it when it actually comes through. When you are specific, when you give it over to God, when you place it in His hands, from your own in all of its 
rawness, then you, then you so much more celebrate when he returns it back to you, complete and mended and made whole. I think that there's some of us here today, and we struggle with that being specific. We find that when we get into prayer, our, our, our minds or our mouths just lock up a little bit. I'm going to invite you all to stand right now, actually. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or you'd like to find out contact information or service times, then don't forget to visit our website, www.thejunctionchurch.com. God bless.